Yes, you are listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible Wednesday, January the 30th in the year of our Lord, 2019. And what do we do on a Bible Wednesday? We have congregations are invited to meet together at 9.30 at their church and to listen to the first half hour, after which take another half hour in speaking among themselves over what we said on a specific Bible passage. Now, last week, we were talking about how the church is one body with many members, and many members have all kinds of gifts such as apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Now, the last verse in chapter 12 was, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, is he talking about which of those ones he listed are the most excellent? Is it more excellent to be an apostle than somebody who is administrating? No, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's saying there's a more excellent way than having any of these gifts. And that's what we're going to be looking at today for our Bible study, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're looking at verse 1 to verse 13. And that just so happens to be the epistle reading for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, which occurs this week, February the 3rd, in the year of our Lord, 2019. So without further ado, let's see what he means by a more excellent way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, some people will want to ask the question, what does it mean speaking of tongues of men and of angels? Does that mean foreign languages and then there's also a language of angels? No. In that day, the language that was used in the temple was Hebrew. And therefore, the teachers of Judaism came to regard it as the language of angels. So, what are the other languages? Those would be what happened at Pentecost. Remember, there were Cretes and Arabs and all kinds of different languages. And it says the disciples in teaching, this, by the way, is Acts chapter uh, one, that when they were teaching the people, they were speaking in different languages. Well, I find that interesting that obviously those were known foreign languages. So even if you're able to speak in a foreign language, I, I know some people who not only can read three or four languages, but they can speak them fluently. I think that's a real gift. I have the ability to translate four or five languages, but I don't have the ability to speak fluently in any of them except English. And even there, some people would wonder if I am a fluent speaker there. But if you're able to speak in the various languages of human beings, 
and of angels, which would have been Hebrew in that day, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It was Wes Reimnitz who gave an example of a pastor he had heard that was a very good teacher, but he did not have proper love in one area. In his youth confirmation class, he had a young girl who kept asking questions again and again, and they were serious questions, and he finally told her that he wasn't going to answer them anymore. She needed just to be quiet and listen to the class. Now, there's an example of why we're losing a lot of millennials. These are individuals who have questions but the church doesn't have the time sometimes to answer them. I always love questions in a Bible study. I don't like them in the sermon. Why don't I like them in the sermon? Because in a Bible study, I'll start off with a passage, and if the questions keep coming, we may never get done that Bible passage for that Sunday morning. But a sermon, you can't do that. You just can't keep answering questions during a sermon because a lot of sermons go anywhere from 10 minutes to 20, 25 minutes, and you wouldn't have enough time if you allowed for questions. But I don't mind questions after the sermon in the Bible study about the sermon. I always enjoy that. So if he doesn't have love, and what we're looking at is What do we mean by love? If I asked everybody who's listening right now to write down their definition of love, it probably would be something where you would say, well, you're doing something nice for somebody, or you really care for them, these kinds of things. Well, let's see if that's what love means. He goes on. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, what does that mean, prophetic powers? Prophecy isn't only telling about the future. It's telling forth the message that God has in his holy word. And even if you understand all mysteries. Now, it just so happens in the Greek, there is a Greek word, mysterion, and it applies to the Lord's Supper. It's called the mystery of the Lord's Supper, uh, Jerome, translated into Latin as the sacramentum of the Lord's Supper. So somebody can kind of understand that the Lord's Supper is the body and blood of Christ. They can have all knowledge Uh, They know the Bible backwards and forwards, and they can have faith. In other words, nothing really bothers them in life. Even if they are persecuted, they believe the promise that God will take care of them. You can have all those things, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. So this word love really is something that is far better than any of the gifts that God distributes distributes to individual Christians. Going on with verse 3, 
if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, how can somebody who's willing to give away their wealth and also be persecuted to the point of death have not love? Because love is more than giving away your wealth, more than allowing yourself to be persecuted. So finally, Paul begins to talk about what love is. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Now, that's where pastors really need to learn to be patient because you could have somebody who phones you every day with a problem in their life. I've had a couple of members like that. And I don't say to them, well, you know, you phoned me yesterday and almost asked me the same question. I'm a little busy right now. If you have another question... Uh, give me a ring tomorrow. No, that would not be patient. We need to be patient with our members. And members need to be patient with one another. Can you imagine a father or mother teaching the child how to tie their shoes and they're impatient? They say, look, I just showed you how to do it with my shoes. What's the matter with you? That is not a loving parent towards a child. You're patient and kind. Love, it continues, does not envy or boast. Now, it doesn't envy. That means, well, why has that person got all that stuff and God doesn't give me anything that I want? So I'm envious towards them. You see, when you are envious towards someone It's really an attack against God's decisions for your life. And therefore, you don't have proper love towards God. Or if you boast. Remember, there's passages in the Bible that we do not boast about our works because none of our works have the ability to save us. Good works instead are something that comes after we have been totally saved as a response to what God has done for us. It's not something that occurs in order to be saved. This is really important. If you start boasting about your loving actions, thinking that thereby, well, now God is going to save me, you have turned into what's called legalism, where you take the legal commands of God, attempt to obey them, and through that obedience think, I am meriting salvation. No, we do not boast of our works because a really good work or fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets the credit for it. Love is not arrogant or rude. Arrogant would mean, well, I'm obviously better than you are because I've got the right message. It's a shame that a number of people who are leaving the church consider either the pastors or members of the church as arrogant in the sense that I'm better than these people who are so immoral. Well, the fact of the matter is all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. So for someone to think he is 
better than someone, that he is arrogant, or that he is rude. Like, you can have somebody who's living in sin, and they come to ask you, what do you think about what I am doing? And you say to them, I don't even want to talk to you. You're such a sinner. You deserve to go to hell. That's being rude in the spiritual realm. And Jesus always was trying to help someone come to a proper knowledge of both the law and the gospel. I don't think you can find one place where he was rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love. You see, we're getting a lot more than love is just kind of being nice to somebody. It doesn't insist on its own way. And that's really important, for example, in a marriage, that there's no way that two people are going to have the same desires. And if one insists on its his own way or her own way and says, I'm going to divorce you if I don't get this or whatever, that's not love. Love is not irritable or resentful. See, these are great definitions of the negative parts that contradict love. There are some people who just always seem to be irritable. What does that mean? Well, they get under your skin. They say things in order to make themselves look better, or they may be asking questions that you may not have the answer and you get irritable towards them, or you're resentful towards them because they're taking up too much time. Jesus was always ready to speak to those who wanted to ask him questions. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Wow. What does that mean? I don't know if it was Martin Luther or somebody like that said, I remember this distinctly, is that we love to hear bad things about other people because it makes us feel good about ourselves. And so we rejoice at somebody's wrongdoing, particularly if something they've done to us has made us angry and then... They get a kind of a karma where it falls back on them. And then, oh, well, that teaches him not to do that. Love rejoices with the truth. Now we're getting into a positive thing. What's the truth? Well, somebody said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So... Even though many of the commands or the will of God we don't appreciate in our lives because we like to be independent from anybody, we still rejoice in the truth because Jesus is the truth, which leads us to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. I tie that right back to the way you rejoice with the truth, the greatest truth that God has given us are the promises of the gospel. And therefore, we can bear all things because God says, 
He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can believe all things because God says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We can hope all things because God promises to take us to an eternity in heaven at the end of our days and particularly judgment day. And we can endure all things because the promise that God never sends us more than we can withstand as we turn to him for help. You see, that's how truth is able to bear, believe, hope, and endure. Verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13. Love never ends. What does that mean? Well, we're talking about after Judgment Day. As for prophecies... They will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. In other words, in heaven, we won't have the need to hear prophecies about the future. We're, We're living the future. And for tongues, is it possible that in heaven there'll be a reversal of the Tower of Babel, where instead of everybody speaking other tongues, we're all going to be speaking the same tongue and we'll understand each other, or we'll still be speaking other tongues, but everybody will understand what the other person is saying. It's not clear in the Bible. Verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, You see, we don't have all knowledge about what the future is going to hold. We oftentimes, even when we're going through the Bible, say, I think that's what this means, but there's probably more to it. And that's why when the perfect comes, that means perfect knowledge, guess what? The partial will pass away. And so, as is Paul's custom, as was Jesus, Jesus used parables to bring in an analogy. Paul here uses a child. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, now, the word now here is referring to our situation in the spiritual realm where we're still like children. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Jesus is within us. And on Judgment Day and our eternity in heaven, as Job says, we will see Jesus with our own eyes which means we're going to have to have a new body that is able to withstand the glory of Jesus. That is impossible right now. I would say the transfiguration of Jesus was only about 1% or 2% of his glory. And even there, the disciples had a problem in watching him. So now, Paul says, I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, what does that mean? The fact is, right now, 
we know in part. How many times have I said to you, with all the years I've had in ministry and the degrees behind my name, on a scale of 10, I'm probably about a 4 when it comes to understanding the Scripture. Some professors, I think around a 6 or a 7, only Jesus was at a 10. The fact is, we right now know only in part. But then we will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, who's that referring to? It's referring to God. God fully knows us. You think you can hide a sin from God? No way. You think you can hide a motivation of self-interest and doing good works from God? No way. He can read your hearts. He sees all things because he's omnipresent. Therefore, our old Adam needs to go to death, which happens in the waters of baptism, so that our new man comes forth where we don't boast about our good works, realizing they are really works of the Holy Spirit. And we look forward to heaven, not because of the works we have done, but because of the works that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So now we have a verse that really is well known by a lot of people and hopefully better understood after going over 1 Corinthians 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So what's Paul saying here? Faith isn't just the faith that we have through which we are saved. It really refers to promises that we believe so that we can go through life realizing that God never leaves us, never forsakes us, call upon him on the day of prayer, and guess what? He'll be there immediately. So that's faith. Hope, that's looking forward to the future. It's a sure hope because we have the promises of God. I've already mentioned one of them, that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. So we have nothing to fear. So even with these great gifts of faith and hope, you can still have, say, a member of the church or even a pastor who may have great faith, may know quite a bit about the Bible, be able to apply the Bible properly, but he may not have love. He may be Somebody who says, well, if you don't make a decision to invite Christ into your heart, then I don't consider you to be saved. Or he could say something like, if if you don't give more money to the church, then obviously Jesus isn't very important to you. See, these are always a lack of love. So love is much more than having a strong feeling towards someone. No, that's why... All immorality that's done in the world, people think they have love that's behind it. No, 1 Corinthians 13 shows that that love is not there because immoral love is always out of self-interest, not 
out of true love. That's described in 1 Corinthians 13. So you may have faith, you may have hope, and you may have proper love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so the ending of 1 Corinthians 13 answers the question of the ending of 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, I will show you a still more excellent way, and that way was love. I'm Tom Baker. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll be with Wes Reimnitz, and we've had some very interesting topics that he has been bringing to the program. We haven't quite decided what we're talking about tomorrow, but I'm looking forward to his decision. And we pray that you'll be with us to listen to us on tomorrow's Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.